Are you wanting to create a highly prosperous photography business doing what you love? Or maybe you have a great business already and want to up your game? Then you're in the right place. Master craftsman photographer Lucy Dumas and her guests are here to support you on your journey. Now here's your hostess and tour guide, Lucy. Within you is the light of a thousand suns. And that's a quote by Robert Adams. I want to welcome you again to the Profitable Photographer. I'm still Lucy Dumas. And I'm so excited about our guest today because we're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects, which is finding light. That's a big question I have for him. And and, uh, you'll understand why I think he has a lot to share on that. Um, before we get started, all kinds of goodness is at lucydumascoaching.com. Remember Lucy with an I. By the way, I changed it from Lucy with a Y when I was 12 because I never liked my name. So um, you're free to do that too. <laughs> okay. Ibarrio Next Pirello is a photographer, writer, educator, and he has a show called The Candid Frame it's a photography podcast, um, 25 years experience in this industry. He has produced over 500 episodes of interviews with people like Jay Mizell, Mary Ellen Mark, Joel Meyerwitz, Eli Reed, Keith Carter, and Maggie Stieber. So, wow. <laughs> He's also the author of six books, including Chasing the Light. And he has served as an adjunct professor at the Art Center College of Design. Where is that? That's in Pasadena. Oh, I was going to guess that. He also was a production fellow at Maximum Fun. And he serves as a photographer at the Huntington Library and Gardens in San Marino, which is in technically the Pasadena area, if you're from there. So Ibarian X, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for saying yes to being on my show. Oh, thank you for asking me, Lucy. And he's got the best podcaster voice, I think, <laughs> of all time. So I would love um, just a brief, like, how did you get to this point? Or how did you get started in photography? I got started with photography really young. I was a member of the Boys Club of Hollywood. And um, mm. counselors there fixed up an old darkroom that had stopped being used. And he brought in two freelance photojournalists to show the kids how to load a roll of film into a camera, how to process it, how to make a print. And the moment I saw that picture appear on that white, you know, that white piece of paper, I was just sold. That's all I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so photography was always part of what I fascinated me even though i got a degree in english lit i'd, I'd hope to um, go to grad school and study photojournalism but that didn't that pan out in the way that i anticipated but after college i started working at nikon i was there for about eight years so that allowed me to you know work at doing something that i that i loved and then uh, i left nikon and was an associate editor editor at outdoor photographer and uh, digital photo pro magazines for another eight years. Mm. And then I left there and just went solo. Just, I would just freelance write for a bunch of different magazines. And, um, you know, by then I was already doing the show and uh, I started teaching at art center 
and in a couple of other places teaching workshops. So it just, you know, not because I had any great grand plan. It was just, I was just blessed with one opportunity after another. Mm -hmm. Um, Luckily I'm still doing something that I love, which is something I don't take for granted. Yeah. Yeah. I love how this unfolded for you rather than like, I'm going to do this in my life. One of my favorite quotes is that I wrote down when I was in my twenties, trying to figure out like, how do you create a life? How do you figure out what to do? And the quote was, watch what your hand falls to naturally and do more of that. And so when I heard what just kept turning for you and then this other thing and this other thing, you know, I thought of that quote. And what I love about having you on my show today is I have a lot of people, of course, because weddings and portraits are more of my genre and the life I've built over the 40 years and now coaching and and podcasting is the kind of the little fun, fun little cookie that I've added to it. Um, but I don't have a lot of people on my show that have had great careers in the industry in the way that you have. A, in in serving, working for, you said Nikon, and who was after that? It was a Werner Publishing. So they, the, they were the of outdoor photographer magazine yeah so magazines and things like that so i know uh people will be interested in possibly some tips on how you get work in those directions um but before we do that i have some other topics that i want to cover that i know are in your expertise so one of the things you teach is street photography right Mm mm-hmm First, I want to talk about that a little bit. Can you, first of all, define it and give us some some goodies on that, some meat? (laughs) You start with a dangerous question. (laughs) Okay. Do you want to give me a simpler one? (laughs) Well, no, that's good. That's good. Because there's there's always a debate about what is and what isn't street photography. For me, it's it's really it's about being able to create images in the public space. Mm. And, you know, that opens it up to a lot of, a lot of things. Cause it's for me, it's, yeah, it includes photographing people on, on the street, but it's also about light. It's also about line and shape. It could be an image about storytelling or it could be a, a street portrait. Some people always want to sort of have a really hard definition of what street photography is. And it's like, if I'm out in public, it's street photography because I'm, basically trying to create something from nothing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes street photography is, is, is an aesthetic. So it doesn't necessarily, it's not so much about the subject matter, but the approach. And I think kind of adhere more to that than anything else. Because, you know, if you walk into a space that's indoors, it doesn't disqualify the street photography. You look at work of Robert Frank, he shot stuff in an elevator. He shot stuff in a, you know, in a car, but it still was a street photography aesthetic. And mm-hmm. Many people have pointed out that it, it, you could see it as sort of a subgenre of documentary photography. Mm-hmm. It's an even larger sort of umbrella. But I tell people, don't worry so much about what street photography is and isn't. Just follow your nose in terms of the kinds of pictures you want to make. Mm-hmm. That's much more important than trying to figure out whether you know, that peg 
fits in its hole properly. Yes, it is, or it's not. Forget about that, is what you're saying. And just make the pictures. Yeah. So what do you mean by an aesthetic for someone that maybe not quite uh, resonate with that that word or what that means? For me, it's not not so much how the image looks. Probably sensibility is, is probably a more appropriate word. Okay. So can you give like... This isn't a street photography sensibility, and this isn't? Okay, street photography sensibility for me is going out with a blank slate, whether I'm shooting in the streets of Los Angeles or I'm in New York or I'm in Paris. And it's about going out there with no intention at all in terms of what I'm going to photograph or how I'm going to photograph. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of like a treasure hunt. It's looking at the world as it's playing out in front of me and recognizing how these different elements, how they can be transformed, right? It could start with the play of light. And then I start noting the lines and shapes of the building. I see how a shadow cuts through that scene. And then I figure out, well, if I have somebody walk into that scene right at that spot, I can create an interesting photograph. Mm-hmm. So that, that for me is, exemplifies my approach. Some people who practice street photography are are defined either as uh, fishing or what's the other word? Fishing or hunting, right? Mm. They're constantly moving and they're grabbing shots. And for me, it's more the former. It's about walking around, taking in a scene and then figuring out, oh, wow, this space or this subject really would be an interesting photograph and then trying to you know, manage the camera to the point that I'm able to get what I've imagined in my mind's eye. Every other kind of photography to some degree, I think is more like the work work you do in terms of portraits. Mm -hmm. You're working with someone in order to create an image, but there's less left to chance. Right. Lighting, you have your background. And if anything, what you're looking for is that slight subtleness of expression or body language to help complete the so, right. I'm controlling a lot more of the elements as you're talking. I'm realizing because outdoor photography is pretty much I've done studio work when I did a lot of children, babies. I had a studio because what do you do with a three month old out in the world? You know, there's not as much variety as when you can have certain furniture, certain props, control the light. But when I, let's say someone hires me to do a portrait of their family and we pick a location, I'm coming at it now that I've listened to you with a certain street photography element to me, which is why I love natural light outdoors as much as possible rather than adding light to it because I'm fishing for a location that's interesting, that has the light qualities and then putting the people in there instead of waiting for someone to just magically show up and pose themselves well and look at the camera. So I'm controlling that part, but I've never thought of that before. Part of like I started as, you know, the heart of my early work was street photography. And then as I said, Oh, how am I going to make money at this? And I realized, well, people would pay me to do their weddings. But my heart is 
figure out a target rich environment, go find a, a scene and then work within that. So thank you. You've kind of opened a place in me of understanding my own work a little oh. bit more deeply. Oh, I'm glad yeah. I can. Yeah. Which is why I love people pre-digital. There wasn't the, I'm a natural light photographer label because yeah. we didn't know what we were going to get. So we had to, to, to understand our craft quickly or we got trash. Whereas with digital now, you know, we can, we get that feedback right away. Yeah, you, you find out it's trash sooner. Yes. <laughs> While you're right there. <laughs> Let's see. So I had another um, question within a question. So is street photography most frequently including some living being? No, not necessarily. Okay. That's probably a good majority of stuff that you see includes people, but you know, for me, sometimes the scene is is doesn't need a person in order to complete it. Okay. The majority of my pictures right now are are sort of street abstractions or just play of light or line and stuff. And mm. you know, if I'm in a uh, what's called a target rich environment, I'm not necessarily completely reliant on the people to to sort of achieve the vision. Cause I like finding a setting that looks like it would be a good photograph anyway, with, with or without a person. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I recognize that I need sort of a counterpoint point of contrast or a sense of scale. So having a person or even the shadow of a person in the frame, mm -hmm. even a pigeon for that matter, yeah, appear in the right spot. It, it's just breaking down the scene into all these individual pieces and seeing how they sort of fit together. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I'm in a city that has a lot of pedestrian traffic, like New York City, then uh, I would say probably a greater percentage of the images benefit from having a person in there, but they don't necessarily have to be dominating the scene. Sometimes mm -hmm. it just be a really small human figure in the distance, but it's that gesture or that flourish that helps to sort of complete the shot. Right. Right. I So you have me thinking of an image that I took in Italy. And there was a beam of light coming through the buildings, which often happens in in those like hill towns in Tuscany and such. And I was like, oh, that's beautiful. It took a photograph. And then I thought, I wonder if it would be better if somebody, if I waited till somebody was stepping into that light mm. and two kids in their school uniforms with their books. I don't know if they were holding hands, but they walked into the scene and it was a million times better. Yeah. So like, I wouldn't even remember it if it weren't for them, but other times like I have, I'm not sure if it's street photography or nature, but I have an image that always wins awards. That is just a, a lake and it's pretty in the morning. And I threw a rock to get the perfect ripple and you know, I mean, that was created and that's not street photography, but that ripple gave it more of a punch. Yeah. So, yeah. Can we talk about potential income from street photography? Is it a labor of love? Is it only if you become a fine artist? You know, what 
kind of avenues might be available for somebody that loves loves this kind of work? Yeah, for me, I don't necessarily earn money as a street photographer. The one way that I do is largely from you know teaching others how to do it. But um, the approach that I've I've come to as a result of doing street photography is something that I apply to to other work that I do. So if I'm doing like documentary work or doing something for a nonprofit. Um, that's more about sort of storytelling and, you know, the ability to be able to create a narrative from the photographs. But, you know, when I shoot those things, I'm shooting them the very same way that I do street photography. I'm observing, I'm moving, I'm checking things out. And in, in this case, that ability to re- respond spontaneously Mm-hmm. allows me to create shots that I think are much more intimate and vibrant than sort of posing people like they do in a lot of stock photography. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so for me, I'm, I like the complete license to come into a community or a space and just observe and make the kinds of photographs that I would make in the street. Mm-hmm. Um, I did some a nonprofit assignment for uh, Goodwill Industries and it was really about walking around the spaces where they do their work and finding images. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a really a agenda, but I felt completely confident in my ability to be able to do that just because I work the very same way that I do on the street. Um, you put me in a studio with a bunch of lights in the background. Uh, it's for me a little more difficult because I'm not as, that doesn't come to me as, as naturally. Mm-hmm. because then I'm more reliant on the person being able to give me something, especially if I have them over under in front of a white background and I got yeah. a, a soft box. And then it's like, I don't have much to work with other than my reliance on my collaboration with the subject or subjects. Mm-hmm. And that for me, doesn't come as easy as it may for other people, largely because I haven't, I haven't spent a lot of time doing that. It's not, mm-hmm. You know, if I'm going to do portraits like you, when you would go out to a scene, a natural scene in a park or a street, I much enjoy creating portraits under that kind of environment because I'm considering the space. But now with the the caveat that the subject itself, himself or herself, uh, has to be more prominent than it might be normally. Right. But right. it's based on an approach that I've grown to be very uh, comfortable with, but mm-hmm. also I know that I can rely on. So your your love of and experience of street photography, then uh, one way that you've indirectly had income from that is that it's developed skills that then when you're in a paid environment, um, and honestly, you are like explaining myself to me in ways <laughs> I'm really thankful for. Because um, I've never loved studio either. Uh, I did love, like, get a mom and a baby and some yummy light and skin and black and white intention and a nice background. And yes, I so am in love with those little, you know, humans that, yeah. yes, that makes me happy. But it's not the being in the studio and being in control of everything. It's the actual subjects, but in general, uh, as my career has continued continued to grow, it was just more fun. 
I realized, you know, maybe you agree with this, maybe you don't, that there's kind of two kinds of photographers, ones that think up an image and go make it, mm-hmm. and ones that think up a target-rich environment or uh, just something general and go find it, like a discovery. And yeah. Yeah. So I'm a finder. I'm always watching when I'm out in the world what people are doing so that when I'm posing people, I've got this resource of some poses that people have done just on their own, like kids playing in the, in the shoreline and the water in Coronado in San Diego. I'm always like, oh, perfect pose, perfect, you know, just watching Uh, if I was a painter, which early on as a teenager, I loved to paint, but it just takes too long <laughs> for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah unless you, you know, you, uh, I forget the, the, the writer or the poet. Uh, he, he had shotgun painting, so he just had a canvas. He put a can of paint in front of it, and then he'd take his shotgun. and. <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah, so that's what photography is like to me is just boom. Anyway, um, so that is something like if I'm at the beach and I see a couple cuddled up on a rock in a way that I've posed people, I'm like, good, people actually do (laughs) that. You know, I always want, besides the predictable ones that people purchase, uh, looking at the camera, everybody with all their fingers and toes in the right places so that you're not distracted, I always want to include some things that feel like they were just hanging out at the park or the beach or, you know, the city and such. So, yeah. And I think an important lesson is trying to figure out how you like to make pictures. Mm. A lot of people, especially when they're beginning, they get into the shoulds and shouldn'ts. Right. Oh, I should do this. or I shouldn't do that. And it's really about finding what works for you. Because anytime I'm, I'm, I tried to do something that wasn't natural to me, it was very frustrating. Mm-hmm. I was never happy with with the results because it, it wasn't meant for me to shoot in that way. When I told myself that, oh, I have to do it this way because that's how everybody else does it, um, it was frustrating and and consistently unremarkable. Do you have an example? Oh. Um, I mean the whole lighting thing. I was I was supposed to photograph Hasselhoff. David Hasselhoff, the guy who was in Baywatch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Austin insisted that I use an umbrella and stuff like that, and I I got it, but I was not completely comfortable, so I really couldn't keep my focus on on him, and I couldn't control the the space because we were in a, a public. It was a fundraiser or something, mm-hmm. and everyone wanted pictures with him, and I really wasn't able to. I was more preoccupied with the equipment. Yes. So I, I really didn't get a picture that I was happy with. I would never share those photographs with anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just felt that they were bad had I just shot the way that I was accustomed to and didn't listen to my boss. <laughs> just shot it. You uh-huh. know, I think her, her, her impetus was she wanted it to look professional. You know, uh-huh. she wanted to. She wanted the lights there to make it look a certain way, not necessarily because it benefited the photographs. And in the end, it wouldn't have mattered. A picture is a picture, right? But I allowed what her expectation to influence my choices, 
And so it was, the experience was unremarkable and so were the images. Yeah. So stick with what you know. Yeah. I did a trade once for a friend who was importing really interesting uh, jewelry from Peru. And so I did a trade for some of the jewelry and mm-hmm. it was the most frustrating, stressful, unfun photography assignment I can remember because you got to figure out how you're going to do it, how you're going to hang it, what the lighting, what kind of, it, all of it was just zero fun. <laughs> yeah, I photographed, I did, a, I did a job for a manufacturer who creates custom parts for automobiles. Uh-huh. So it was like dealing with chrome manifolds and things like that, that he was just bringing out in his warehouse. And I was photographing with the help of a, a friend and it was stuff that I was not used to photographing, but I was really aware of light. So especially with the chrome pieces, I had to be really aware about how the light was positioned because I needed to retain um, the name of the business that was on the on the chrome part. So had I not been, it would have been a real big problem. Yeah. Because I had to use like flags and things like that in order to sort of shape the way the light illuminated these highly reflective pieces. Mm-hmm. I was able to to do it, but that came as a result of of my street photography. That that precise awareness of like, yeah, uh, how the position of the light relative to the subject can really transform into the way it looks. Well, you've just segued into uh, chapter two of this conversation for me. Thank you. Um, so. I teach people how to find light outdoors for portrait photography, wedding photography. Uh, When I I did weddings for 12 years, you do not have the luxury of just sweet light, you know, sunset light, or, you know, some people do drag studio lighting around with them, but it's any time of day, like, okay, boom, now uh, create records of the event, but also create art. And then when I moved into portrait photography, uh, I I had learned there were some people that did exquisite photographs that where they had nothing, you know, no flash, just a camera and Mm -hmm. stuff. And so I had studied, how do I create that what do I do with that? So I developed a program where I photographed my Barbie and illustrated what I call the first tree in the forest lighting, and like pretending that you're on a planet where there's never sunset, mm. there's no trees, uh, but you can ask for anything you want if it doesn't come from a store. And so we ask for a building, a hallway, a cave a grove of trees. And so that I know how to teach that specific. How do you find the catch light in the eye where you know now that's going to flatter? So I'm really interested in your uh, experience and (laughs) teachingness about finding light for street photography, you know, for other things where we're not controlling the subject necessarily. Yeah. Um, and you've alluded to that. Oh, that's a good word. Allude. <laughs> you've alluded to 
uh, a few things, but can you um, yeah. illuminate us on that? Well, one of the first things that I, I impress on, on the people who are studying with me is that everything you know about street photography, I want you to forget just because what they think street photography is, is what they're looking for. And if you come from that approach, the it, street photography becomes very uh, difficult to do, right? Because you are imagining how maybe like Joe Meyerowitz or Robert Frank or, you know, any, any of these famous street photographers shot and you think, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do and that's what I have to look for. And when you're first starting, that is really difficult because you're looking at people who have been doing this for a long time and each of them have found their own personal approach to making pictures on the street. So what I tell people is don't go out there with any expectation at all. Okay. Begin by simply just paying attention to what's happening with the light. You know, is it a bright sunny day? Is it overcast? You know, what are the shadows like? Are they hard? Are they soft, diffused? Um, what does the light do to shapes and lines and colors? Mm -hmm. You know, look for that first and foremost. And I tell people, to find the setting. Find a setting where you think all those elements sort of are favoring each other and start working on that. Don't worry about whether there are people or not in the frame. It's like, can you pull out an interesting composition out in the street that looks good, even with the absence of people? Because basically, I'm always looking for settings, a stage upon which I can, you know, create this this moment uh, in with a photograph. Mm -hmm. And if you're able to do that, it sort of takes the pressure off of worrying about whether people are going to get mad because you photograph them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> occupation for anyone who who's interested in doing street photography. They're sort of, they're, they're fascinated by the idea of it, but they're terrified at the idea that someone's going to get mad and yell at them. Mm -hmm. So go out there and don't worry about whether there are people are not in the frame, find your setting. Mm. And you start, start doing that and you start discovering what makes a, a good photograph and what doesn't what do i need to do in order to make it a clean shot how do i get rid of clutter or distractions that are in the background you know how do i make an interesting shot when it's overcast as opposed to a directly sunny day if you if you go out practicing that you gain a certain level of confidence that you'll be able to discover those moments and i think it's that kind of confidence that everyone needs to sort of make the leap to start including people within the frame Right. And sometimes yeah. you'll, you'll do it where the person where the person is at a distance or is so small. There's no issue in terms of whether that person is going to get pissed or because you're not in their face. Right. Mm -hmm. But at some point you'll and, and, and I think this comes with just doing it a lot. You'll get very good at being able to do that. But then you want to push yourself a little harder because your images start looking a bit of the same. You've, you've honed the skill to make this particular kind of image, but now you want people to be more prominent in the frame, which means getting closer. Mm -hmm. So you start working on another skill set, but you're building on that foundation that you've already honed as a result of looking for, for the, the scene. And at that point, you may choose to work with like a 28 millimeter lens rather than a 50. 
Mm-hmm. And that, which means that if you want to be able to make the subject more dominant, you got to get closer. Yeah. Find different ways and techniques to be able to do that. So, you know, I can be working with a 28 millimeter lens really close, but because of my, the way I'm, because I've established myself on that scene, even before the person moves into the spot where I want them to, those people see me and they assume that I'm photographing something else. They have no idea that I'm waiting for them mm-hmm. to that spot. And then I'll do this little, you know, my little dance and checking the camera, raising it up as if you know, ah. figure things out. And then when they move into that spot, I'll shift, raise the camera, make the picture. And I continue to act as if I'm making the photograph and they'll look back and they'll think, Oh, he's photographing something else. Ah, so, so the skill set you said working on another skill set. So the skill set is to sort of be hidden in plain sight. Exactly. What you're doing and maybe change the lens and get your skills with, with different equipment and such. Like, is there a camera that you think, or a type of camera that is ideal for street photography and not seeming like you're there with, you know, 20 cameras on your shoulder and, and obviously photographing. You know, I'm a, I'm a Fuji film shooter. So I, I like going out there with my X pro three or my, um, you know, my X 100. Um, what is F I think I have. What are those? I don't, I don't know all those numbers. They're, they're mirrorless cameras, really small, okay, really quiet. I shot back in the day with Nikon F3 or F4, which were like SLRs, and you know they made a lot of noise when they. Mm-hmm. And you know, the the sound of the camera didn't make as much of a difference for me. It, what was most important was finding a camera that I could know so well that I didn't have to really think about, you know, how do I change this or how do I change that. Right. Um, it was just. I figured out how to change ISO, how to change shutter speed, so on and so forth, to the point that I don't even have to think about it. Right. So yeah. I think it's more important than anything else, getting a camera that is such an extension of you that you don't have to worry about it. Um, right. And I just, you know, I've shot with everything. So for me, it's just finding a camera that I feel completely comfortable with. Mm-hmm. So for some people, that might be a Fuji. For other people... They might be a Leica for other people. It could be a Sony or, or um, a Canon, mm-hmm. um, a DSLR or a mirrorless camera, or even your phone. I, there's some great street photographers who just use their phone. Mm-hmm. The, the camera itself is as big of a deal as some people might think. It's just finding what works for each individual photographer and getting enough practice that you're focused more on the moment that's being played out than you are with anything regarding the camera. Got it. So I still want to know if there are some principles of light that someone can learn specifically, like I can teach you how to find light outdoors for a portrait. Are there some like, look for this, look for that kinds of things? I tell people, look at what's happening with the shadows. That'll tell you a lot. If it's a bright, sunny day, like a summer day, you'll see, especially like a midday, really hard transition between light and shadow, those hard lines between light and dark. Right. And that's really a good way of starting to learn 
the quality of the light, the direction of the light, and contrast. And okay. you'll start discovering, oh, wow, if I move here, I'm getting this quality of light. Like if I go, if it's a bright, you know, summer day with that hard contrast and I'm trying to make a portrait at one o'clock in the afternoon, I'm not going to put somebody in that bright sunlight because it's right. too harsh. They'll be squinting. So for me, it's like I find an area of open shade where I'm getting some of the light that may be bouncing from another surface, but the person's in shade and it's almost like a, a large softbox. So even with street photography, you're looking for open shade. Yeah, I can be because sometimes the image is served by the open shade that the, that the hard bright light really isn't conducive to it. Right. So at that point I'm focusing more on lines and shapes and gesture as opposed to what my, what I might be provided by the by the harder, higher contrast light. It really depends on the scene because I let the I kind of let the scene sort of speak for itself, speak to me, mm -hmm. and it kind of tells me, well, this is what I need in order to make make that an interesting shot. Right. So you know, it's really about okay, what do I have to work? How can I make it work? That's always the challenge. I like that. What do I have to work with? And how can I make that work? Yeah, because you're always going to encounter similar situations in your life as a, as a photographer. But mm -hmm. these learning the lessons of how, how to sort of handle it. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. Yeah. photographing on a, on a rainy day, for example, can produce some really great results. But if you're not used to photographing in the rain, if you always put away your camera, you, you're not really looking at what happens with the light the added reflections of the water that settled on the ground and how that might uh, serve as a counterpoint to the streetlights or, or neon signs and all those things um, that you only learn as a result of photographing in the rain because the world looks completely different on a rainy yeah. day. Yeah. And it's not an opportunity to say, oh, I can't use my camera. So yeah, you get to use your camera, but now you got to see and use it differently than you would on a sunny day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a shot uh, from New Orleans that was in an exhibit and, uh, you know, it's Bourbon Street at night, but it was raining. And so there was these incredible shadows of, or not shadows, what are they called? Uh, reflections. Yeah, reflections. that's it. <laughs> so there were these reflections of all the color and then somebody walking away from me in the scene that was sort of silhouette with you know, yeah. silhouetted with just uh, massive amounts of color. My ideal always when I'm doing a portrait at the beach is that it's a beautiful sunset and the, the sea is calm so that I get the double color all the way from yeah. the reflection in the sand all the way up to the sky. And then the people are kind of floating in this pastel beauty. But the thing is, you you learned how to become aware of that, right? Mm. You you discovered oh the, these elements, you know the the sunset, the reflection of the water, all of that stuff. You discovered through the practice of making the pictures that that it works for you. So right. when you go out there, you know to look for that, right? right? Then you just place your your subject. But if you just if you go out there and you're just preoccupied with the people. And you and you don't know what to look for in terms of light and color, you know. You may make a, a picture that those couples like largely because they think they look good, 
but a lot of photographers can get lucky that way. Right. As a professional, you need to go out there and be able to produce those results consistently. And until you develop that skill set for learning to see and how to interpret that scene and how to place your subject in that scene, uh, you're relying more on luck and the camera or Photoshop to give you something interesting. Right, right. So do you think there's a difference and well, I'm guessing you probably do, between travel photography and street photography? For me personally, no. But if I'm doing travel photography, I'm photographing the entire experience, like the hotel room, the food, um, small little details in a restaurant, things like that. You know, because mm-hmm. I'm thinking about, you know, I, I'm going to be, you know, putting these things in a, in a travel magazine or something like that. So I need to consider creating pictures that give a sense to the reader what the experience is like traveling in, you know, mm-hmm. Italy or. How about if you're traveling? Yeah. Just for fun. Same thing. Yeah. Same thing. I still think about it in, in that way. So um, I'm still doing the street photography. I'm still practicing it. Even if I'm, you know, making images in the, in the restaurant bar, or at the hotel where we're staying at, mm-hmm. you know, still thinking in terms of, okay, well, how can I, what do I include in here? What do I exclude? But I'm also thinking about, okay, this gives a full picture of what the experience was like. Right. Because I'm on vacation. Yeah. But, um, you know, I'm with my wife, so I don't, I don't want to be, you know, going, okay, we're going to walk for three miles so I can do my street photography. Largely it's about, okay, let's go out and just do some fun things. And while yeah. I'm at it, I'm making, I'm making photographs. And yeah. I have at least one day where my wife goes, goes shopping and then I'm just going to go and just make photographs the way that I usually do. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. I think that's, that's, Kept us married for three years. <laughs> Smart. Uh, so you're you're not a foolish man. Sometimes when I'm traveling, I feel like I'm photographing as if I've been hired by National Geographic to and, exactly. and it's like it nowadays I'm really happy that there's Facebook so I can share because I've got zillions of photographs no one's ever seen of places I've been and you know, I've enjoyed it, maybe made a print or two, but at least now, uh, and then I love when it comes back around. So I get to, I get to see it again as if I wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cause for me, it's so much about, I want to remember the experience. I want people who take a look at those photographs to get a, a sense of not just where we've been, but what it felt like to be there. Right. So. I'm, I'm also, I think my travel work is as if I was painting it, as if I was creating an art piece that would stand alone in a frame. Yeah. Like when I was at Monet's garden four years ago, I was looking for that just beautiful painterly moment that was beyond remembering the scene and something of beauty or something that, you know, aesthetically, is pleasing. Um, When I was in Paris, you know, I was doing all of those things. And then I said, okay, today I'm going to be the street photographer and I'm going to put my brain into black and white mode and see the difference. And those are some of the most interesting images, especially I love in Paris. 
how people dress like they're a mini work of art. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I, I caught a lot of people just surreptitiously. Is that the word? Uh, like my eye caught things that were funny, you know, people that were dressed interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it's a, it's a little different kind of, like those images are markedly different because I decided not to be a tourist that day. Right. Mm-hmm. But a street photographer. So, you know, it sounds yeah. like you you kind of do that same thing. Yeah. Because yeah. I allow myself to be really flexible. Mm. And that's you know, and that's that's something that you need. If you if you're too rigid, I find when I'm too rigid. I really don't get happy with the results because I'm trying to force something. Right. You know, and there's uh, some days where it's just not gelling. It's not working. But for me, what's more important is that I, I get into that zone, you know, that, that, that place where I'm not burdened by judgments about what's happening or not happening or being preoccupied with the camera. It's mm-hmm. about making the discoveries, you know, Oh, wow. This is, Oh, this could has the potential of being a good shot. And for me, even if I don't pull off the shot, it's that moment of recognition that makes the difference for me. Oh, I recognized it. Mm-hmm. I, I knew how to deal with it, but all the pieces might not have come together in the way they would have liked it, but that's okay. Because I know I'm going to go out there again at some point. And now I know what to do and what not to do. Right, right. right. So that, this has been so much fun and a different topic than I'm usually offering in different kinds of guests. And it obviously you've like, it, even if no one listens, I'm really happy we had this conversation because oh, too, yeah. you've inspired me and you've opened me up to those sides of me that if I had never gone pro or never gone pro in the portrait wedding world, you know, what my photography might've continued to develop as you've also helped me see how using those, those skills and that interest in street photography has helped my work be what it is, which I don't know if it's that different than others, but, but it satisfies me. But it's yours. That's, that's, that's the, you know, you have found a way that is uniquely you in terms of how you see and how you create pictures. Yes. And I think that that's important for anyone who wants to do it as a full-time or part-time, you know, and you want to offer your, your services. That's how you sort of differentiate right. yourself from everyone else. Right. It, you want people coming to you, not because of the price that you're charging, but because they like the way you see. Mm-hmm. Ooh, and that's good. You have to learn that for yourself. You know, there's something to be said for photo education out there in that it provides you ways of how to use a camera, how to use light and all those things. But, you know, until you make the choice to find what works for you, you're basically working in a way that works best for that photographer and not necessarily you. Right. You know, and so you have to find a way of seeing and working that is uniquely you and that's what you market. Yeah. And so what this conversation has helped me see, because I've always thought, oh, you know, how would I have developed as an artist if I hadn't built the career and the specialty 
And I'm realizing, oh, I did use all of that. I didn't leave that behind. And that, that makes me happy. Now, because I'm coaching more than photographing, I've been a little at a loss for being inspired to get out and photograph again. And this conversation has me feeling kind of fluttery about the, maybe I need to give myself uh, some fun photo, street photography, photo assignments and days or afternoons uh, to get back to what was making me super happy early on when I first got a camera and decided to specialize in black and white for a while and, you know, darkroom work and, and all that. So you've really, really blessed me today. And I hope, well, I know other people are feeling inspired and excited and informed as well. But I like what you said, you know, it's really about reconnecting to the joy that brought us into it. Yeah. And if, and if what you're doing is not creating that joy, then something needs to change. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. This is unrelated, but there's that Marie Kondo Mm -hmm. professional organizer person that says, if anything doesn't bring you joy, throw it out. Yeah. And I heard somebody say, so I threw out her book. (laughs) (laughs) I I thought, yeah, good point. Okay. So um, (laughs) I should always try to have a great joke at the end. Um, So if someone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Thecandidframe.com. Thecandidframe.com. Right. Or they can just put in candid frame and um, that's, that's where they'll, that's where they'll find me. Great. And what last thing would you like people to take away from this conversation or from your 25 years of passionate involvement in photography? Find a way that makes it fun and give yourself permission to do it more often. Hmm. I think I'll put that on a post-it somewhere. Yeah. I can see that. Find a way to... That makes it fun and do that more often. Right. Because if you make if you make the process fun and it's and, and it's less judgment and you're putting less judgment on it and worrying about whether you're good or bad, if it's fun, you'll make more time for it. And as a result, you'll get better. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. So remember everybody to stay tuned for my wrap-up summary. And I'm just so, so happy to have you. Barnix, thank you so, so much for being on this show. I've absolutely loved our time together. Me too. Thank you so much. Thank you. Can you tell? I really loved that conversation. And um, one of the reasons I love doing this podcast is the opportunity for me to grow and have new perspectives on the world. So that was, that was really powerful for me. That was a lot. So we talked about street photography and defining it somewhat. And he said, being a street photographer is being able to create images in the public space. And he said, it's important to understand light, line, storytelling. He said, 
it can be an aesthetic, a sort of sensibility, uh, like a treasure hunt. And he always looks for the scene and, and how the lines and everything play together before he worries about having people in that scene. And we talked about potential income. And I know there is income for some people with street photography directly. I like what he said about being able to use that skill in other ways. So as someone that started out creatively as a street photographer, one of my first paid gigs was doing an annual report for a bank. And I would go to places of business and photograph the business owners with the banker. And I can see in my mind's eye how I used that street photography sensibility in the images that I took uh, for that annual report. We talked then chapter two was about finding light. And he said not to study famous people that are street photographers too much and how they do it and try to duplicate that. Have like a clean mind and pay attention to what light is doing, how it creates shapes and lines, how it uh, fills in. Uh, like he talked about working in open shade and how that has a certain quality of light as it falls on subjects. I like that he said to figure out how to get rid of distractions. And so the story that you're telling is clear and there's not a lot of other stuff in the picture. And I like how he, he made himself into someone that was kind of invisible in the middle of, you know, being visible by the way that he handled the camera, by the way that he, people weren't clear if they were walking by or something that he was photographing them just by his little dance they did. And yeah, so I'm whoever recommended him to me, I'm just really grateful. Hope you're listening to this because you got your wish. And if you have a special request for a guest, please let me know. Of course, you can email me with any questions or thoughts, or if you want to set up a time to chat. And it's Lucy with an I at lucydumas.com. So until next time, I wish you light and life and joy and all that good stuff. Bye for now. You have been listening to The Highly Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share. To connect one-on-one and learn more about our coaching programs, just go to lucydumascoaching.com. Until next time, go have fun photographing and selling your work.